Radio Drone. episode 70 of Radio Drome. Brian Lewis is back with me this week after literally 30 minutes of finagling over his headset. Right, Brian? Yeah. Uh, I, I wish I could play that down a little bit more, but no, it was, it was a half hour trying to figure out how to get audio to come out of the audio end. You don't have, send it through the HDMI end when you have nothing plugged into that. And that, that, That's a good pro tip. <laughs> <laughs> and then joining us again is Alex Jowski, who uh, yeah, I had to scour the dregs to try and find another co-host, so oh. Alex is here again. But Alex is all in a bitchy mood because he just quit smoking, so I don't know what he's going to be like tonight. I will try my best to be sociable. Well, I guess that's all we can ask. But before we do that, Brian's already done the Adam and Eve promo, and he's totally gimped it up by underselling it massively. I do it oh. every week. Well, you did. You totally undersold everything, man. Hey, it was my first time. I, I I didn't. I was prepared. I didn't take notes. Dude, satire. I'm making fun of you in a friendly way. Get it? Oh, Alex, do you remember the Adam and Eve promo? Yes, I I think I do. Go. Go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code Drome. You get not thirty, but fifty percent off a single item. Ooh, shot at Brian there. Yeah, Ouch. man. <laughs> you get free shipping. Three free DVDs and a free mystery gift. 
for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. You got to sell it like a like an infomercial salesman. You guys did a Geek Juice episode with infomercials with me. Come on, sell it like a yes. sell it, man. <laughs> this week, though, we are going to be looking at a retrospective of a, a director who I've respected for the longest time and who recently went insane and decided to stop doing anything decent, and that is John Carpenter. Brian, what are your memories of John Carpenter overall as a director? From from start to finish, like like my upbringing with his movies was always one, like he he just always seemed like a director who got it right. He uh, always had like good pacing with everything. The score was always, yeah. It might not be something that that you necessarily say like that fits for the movie, but it it always just worked for it anyway. Even even on the odd times, so I mean it was just it, it was always just a total package with him. Like you knew if his name was stamped on a box. There was a great movie inside it, and that stopped around 1997. But before, but we, <laughs> we will get to that point. Alex, what are your memories of John Carpenter overall as a director? Because I got into him when I really started getting into horror films and sci-fi films, and then I'd see a really good one, and it would say directed by John Carpenter. I'm like, wow, he did this one too. So I began to really respect him. And again, and, do you agree that that kind of stopped around 97? Yeah. It got to a point where I'm like, well, that was embarrassing for him. Now we're gonna we're gonna look at his entire filmography as a director. We're just gonna gloss over here. He made a bunch of short Super Eight films prior to Dark Star, which was his breakout. And those would be Revenge of the Colossal Beasts, Terror from Space, Warrior and the Demon, Gorgo vs. Godzilla, Sorcerer from Outer Space, and Gorgon the Space Monster. I've never seen a single one of those. I gotta admit I haven't either. And Brian, I think you can agree. Even if Brad was here, I don't think he's seen those either, huh? Yeah, I, I'll I'll just go ahead and vouch for that. That yeah, I, if he has, I've never heard him mention it. <laughs> his his real breakout was the movie Dark Star in 1974. I personally absolutely love this movie. Alex already said he's never seen it, so I'm just going to leave Alex out of this one. It's funny where it's supposed to be funny. For the fact that it's basically a glorified student film, the special effects are damn good. And I don't care what anyone says about the beach ball monster. It actually kind of works the way it's supposed to. Don't you agree, Brian? Yeah, about that. Uh, I have never actually got around to watching that. I'm in the same category as Alex. I, I've probably seen most, if not all, his other movies that are widely available except Darkstar. I don't know why I never have. It's always one of those, like, I'm like, oh, yeah, he did do that, that other movie, didn't he? Okay, and then I just gloss over it. It's actually worth it's a, it's worth a good spin in your DVD player. It It's a lot of grain. It's clearly low budget, you know, lots of looping, weird editing, because this was basically a student film from, I think it was USC, that was considered good enough to get a theatrical release and get distribution. So you can't expect Halloween or Assault on Precinct 13 movie quality because it's not that. But if you keep it in context, it's damn, damn good. So the the heart is still there for it. Oh, absolutely. And Dan O'Bannon's script is actually pretty witty. It's got a lot of really good wit to it. Then next we have Assault on Precinct 13. I love this movie. I love the original Assault on Precinct 13. It's brutal. It's unrelenting. It's got 70s hair, it's got great music, and it's got something you didn't see very often, a little girl getting brutally murdered right on camera near the beginning of the movie. First time I watched it, I have to admit, I found it, I wasn't paying attention because I thought it was boring until I watched it again 
recently and I loved it. The little girl getting shot just still caught me off guard. The story is great. The music is some of Carpenter's best out of all of his movies. Yeah, honestly, I, I kind of have to agree with Alex. Like, I think the the first time I watched this one was was probably back in uh, junior high, uh, after after seeing like a couple of his other movies, and so I started seeking them out actively. And and yeah, I, I have to agree. It, it was kind of boring the first time I watched it. Like, like it, it kind of has a a bit of a lull there towards uh, the middle. But yeah, it, it's it's one that I mean. I, as time's gone on, I, I can really appreciate it for what it is. I mean, it's, it's I, I just I love the uh, the sort of captive action of it. Like it's basically, it, it kind of reminds me also almost in a way of like if you just took like the end of Straw Dogs and made that the whole movie. It's it's very much a siege film, and he says it's kind of a western future meets Night of the Living Dead is the way Carpenter likes to describe it, and. I gotta say that's pretty accurate. That is kind of what it feels like, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I I, I have to agree with that because it it very much like if if they were wearing chaps, I would assume that this was like a movie about the Alamo. I mean, it just it it has that sort of style and feel to it, with the way they keep finding like weak points and infiltrating the, you know, and just encroaching upon the territory of the precinct. Like, yeah, I mean, it it I have to agree with with that. That's a very apt description. Yeah, it is very um, a siege film. It's the way it, they keep falling back and back farther into the jail as they are, they're losing ground against the gangsters. And well, and I, I've got one small spoiler here. This is a slight spoiler warning here. I was really surprised when the uh, cop delivering the the big super criminal got killed. I really thought he was going to be a main character. Oh, uh, yeah, well, <laughs> spoiler alert! Like what? <laughs> 40 years late. Hey, I've been taken to task. I recently got reamed over a Lost in the Static episode where I talked about the four-year-ago finale of Battlestar Galactica. Okay, it was <laughs> four years ago. It's not my fault you haven't seen it yet. I, I can maybe understand something that just got on, like, Netflix, like, Instant Watch or something, but, I mean, it'd be like, it's like, okay, well, don't you dare, in you know, spoil the ending to The General with Buster Keaton. I want to know how that plays out. <laughs> well, I just, I just wanted to say that, I mean, it's not even the ending, but I really thought that cop was going to be the main character. Carpenter built him up to be one, and then he's killed, like, what, 20, 25 minutes into the film? And I went, okay, then? Yeah, I, I, that always kind of really throws me when they do that in movies, where, like, they, there's this big setup. You see this guy, like, all right, this guy is cool. You know he's you know he's guarding this guy. He's got to be you know important. Uh, oh, oh, well there he went. I mean, it really like like stuff like a uh, like executive decision where uh, uh, Seagal spoiler Seagal dies like twenty minutes into that one too. Like he's just nope, oh, he's gone. But uh, but that was because Seagal and the executive producer got into a fight and Seagal quit. Seagal was supposed to make it onto the plane. So the executive decision thing was a behind-the-scenes reason why Seagal was killed 20 minutes in. wonder if that's why they called it executive decision. <laughs> <laughs> Double pun. Then his next film, Brad and I have talked about endlessly, so I'm not going to add a whole lot to it, but I'm not a big fan of the original Halloween. People that listen to this show know my feelings on that. I've watched it so many times I no longer find it entertaining. First few times I watched it, loved it, but nowadays... It's just, yeah, I've seen it, and the, the whole formula has been done so many times that it's it's no longer entertaining watching the origins of the whole slasher genre. 
I, it's one that I, I can still watch uh, really about any time. Like, I, actually, uh, my girlfriend and I, we just watched, uh, well, the, the Riff Track covered version of it uh, here just the other night. But, yeah, it's just one that, for me, I, I don't know. I, I think since I, I saw it at such an early age and it, it was just always, like, it struck me so well when I was a kid that, I, it's just been one that I've I've just carried with me like all these years, like even all the flaws and the fact that, yeah, I mean, at this point, it, even though it was one of the first, it seems so derivative at this point. It's just, it's always a fun watch for me. See, I, I just, I can't let go of the whole thing that it clearly takes place in California. You're in Illinois. You know, at Halloween, you can see your breath. They're running around with no jackets. There's leaves on the trees, California license plates, palm trees in the background. That's not Illinois. Yeah, that, that was one of those things I, I noticed even, even a lot as a kid. It's like, I'm looking at that, I'm like, it's like, where's Haddonfield supposed to be? Like, up around, like, Pontiac or something? Oh, hell no. <laughs> yeah, so like, I was... That looks very nice. I love these outdoor schools we apparently have in Illinois. <laughs> yeah, well, so... See, I, I grew up in California and was watching it. I'm like, oh, so I guess the rest of the country is just like this. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah, we could only hope for that great weather in October. <laughs> Yeah, in in October when you still have flower gardens up and uh, and there's no leaves on the ground, I just I just love that October in Wisconsin. Yeah, I, I think actually uh, I I saw uh, some trivia at one point or another uh, a while back uh, about the first Halloween. Like somebody actually looked back like geographically where Haddonfield should be on that particular Halloween uh, back in uh, like what it was like seventy four or something oh, seventy eight it. It was like uh, like that Halloween night. It was like twenty four degrees outside. <laughs> like no, no, I'm I'm sure that that silk blouse was probably keeping her warm. You know what? That is some true nerddom there, and I actually give the guy credit for for trying to nitpick. That even makes me look like I'm a normal person. I don't even nitpick that bad. Not often you hear that. <laughs> exactly. They're worse than me. Now the next two. I have to admit, if I've seen either Elvis or someone's watching me, I don't remember them. I probably caught both of these on cable at some point in my youth. I do not remember either of these movies. Elvis being the 1979 TV movie with Kurt Russell and someone's watching me being the 1978 TV movie. I don't know either of those. Yeah, I... uh... Well, the Elvis one I know I wouldn't have seen anyway. I'm not the biggest Elvis fan so, I mean, I, I can understand me not seeing that one, but someone's watching me. I don't even know that I've ever even heard that that title before. Well, it was a TV movie, so it was probably shown once. And I'd be lying if I said I've even seen that on VHS. I don't even have a VHS of that. So I don't, I don't know if that was just one of those forgotten TV movies that showed up on TBS in the 90s and that was it. I don't know. You know, I haven't heard of somebody's watching me, but I did watch a made-for-TV version of Elvis, but I don't know if it was the Carpenter one or not, because there's more than one TV movie about Elvis. This one has Kurt Russell as Elvis. Oh, so 3,000 Miles to Graceland. Ha! <laughs> See, this is what I was telling you, Brian. You're you're really quick on the uptake there. <laughs> <laughs> I just like that movie. I like the first 20 minutes. Well, that CGI scorpion fight in the middle of the road. (laughs) Now, his next film, The Fog, I have a ton of problems with, but at the same time, I absolutely love. It's a moody-as-hell movie. It's got some great scares, some great setups, great cast. 
My problems are there seems to be no real police force in this town. The ra- the radio station only goes on the air at from dark till dawn, and everyone lists all they play is this like soft jazz music that every single person in town listens to all night long. That just I don't understand that. I really don't. But I really think the fog is a great movie. Um, I like the fog though because it has the feel of those EC comics. Yeah, that's what I was talking about with the mood and the and the atmosphere it, it conjures up. It's all it's just dripping with that. Big thing I remember from it though is mostly Adrian Barbeau. Yeah, yeah, Adrian Barbeau and her uh, two biggest assets. Yes, I was. That was the movie I watched with my parents, where I finally realized why my mom constantly called her tits. <laughs> Your mom is awesome to me now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I I do agree that yeah, like like an EC Comics feel is definitely where it's at. Like, I mean, it, it feels like it would have been for me. It feels like it would have been better placed in like a like a movie, something like a Tales from the Crypt, like the old movie, or uh, Creep Show, something like that. Like, it feels like it should be part of an anthology. I was gonna say one of those old Amicus anthologies, those British ones, like Vault of Horror and Tales from the Crypt. Exactly, because uh, it, it I don't know it's. It, like you said, it had a really nice mood to it. Like, you know, you, you kind of did feel some tension to it. But the first time I watched it, it completely lost me. Like, the first time you actually clearly see, oh, geez, it's p p p pirate ghosts. Like, it just felt like it was Scooby Doo live action movie or something like that. Like, that's the feel I got from it. Yeah, I can see that, especially nowadays. But how old were you when you first saw it? probably in like seventh eighth grade uh it it was uh yeah it was sometime back like junior high early high school something like that ah but but you gotta remember they won up the scooby-doo these are leper pirate ghosts <laughs> remember that <laughs> if and, only they could have been in radioactive spacesuits too it would have been just everything i wanted oh hey that that is my favorite scooby-doo villain of all time the one with the big skull inside the spacesuit I, oh, love I love the look guy. of that thing. I can't remember what, what it was supposed to be called, but I want an action figure of that one. That one is awesome. Yeah, I, I love that guy. That's why I, I, I loved when they more or less brought him back in the Venture Brothers. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> so, all right, moving on to his next film, which is arguably Carpenter's most well-known film after Halloween, would be Escape from New York, which I think is also a great movie, uh, is it outdated? Yeah. I mean, the fact that the secret plans are on audio cassette are a little <laughs> outdated. But, and I also like the fact that we clearly have a British president. Escape from New York is exactly what it touted itself as. A fun little adventure story. It wasn't trying to change the world. And that's what I liked about it. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's one of those movies that kind of just, it, it catches you really early on. Like, like they're... There's you know a little bit of setup to it, but there's there's so much you don't know about Snake Plissken, and even throughout the course of the movie, you you really don't find out hardly anything about him. But it's just it kind of gets you straight to the action, and uh, just kind of gets you on this this fun little little adventure where you know there, there's all this interesting stuff going on. It's a really cool take on uh, on that kind of post-apocalyptic world like that. I mean, yeah, I know there's plenty of other movies that tried to do the same thing, like New Barbarians and all that, but I mean, it, it's clear which one got it right. 
I'm not trying to insult Charles Bronson, but he was the studio's choice for Pliskin, and that would have been a disaster. Oh, God, yes, it would have. <laughs> Charles Bronson could not have played that role. To me, that Kurt Russell is Snake Pliskin. Not Kurt Russell playing Snake Pliskin. He embodied that role in those two movies, which we'll get to the second one in a little bit. I loved Escape from New York. I love that the movie doesn't take itself seriously. It sets out to be a campy, entertaining film, and it succeeds in that. It's also kind of got a weird underlying social message, but let's be fair about that. I think that was more of an afterthought than the whole just having a fun adventure movie thing. His next film, again, is one that some people might say is the best. I think it's probably his his best movie. Now, some people are going to pick apart what I'm about to say. I do not consider The Thing 1982 to be a remake. The original Thing from Another World did not follow the story who goes there very well. John Carpenter's version is a much, much more accurate adaptation of the same story. So maybe I'm picking nits, but I think it is a different adaptation of the same story rather than a remake. But The Thing is a damn near perfect movie. Oh, uh, absolutely. I, I, I mean, it's it, it's one of my favorite, uh, not, just, not just even horror movies, just one of my favorite movies outright. I mean, the, the, the tone of everything, like, it's just, it perfectly captured that isolationist feel that these guys are trapped up here and there is nowhere for them to go. Like, it, it was one of those things like, yeah, you got a lot of that feeling in like, like Assault on Precinct 13, but I mean, there's, there's literally no escape for these guys. Yeah, I mean, but I it, in, in Assault, they technically could have found a way to escape and get away. There's nowhere for for the people at this research station to go. Yeah, it's like even if they get away from this thing and they kill it and get out of the building, they're in Antarctica. Where are they running to? <laughs> but yeah, it's it the the music was so spot on. Uh, the 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 effects work. I mean, to this day, and and Brad and I have talked about this at length about anywhere we possibly can. The effects work in that, to this day, I still consider to be some of the best practical effects, it's just special effects as a whole, I've ever seen. Like certain scenes, like like the 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 chest scene in particular, but just it, it just everything was just right where it needed to be. And 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 I definitely agree with you too about the whole. I wouldn't really call it a remake too, because it's it's yeah, it's it's a reimagining, but yeah, definitely not a remake. Right, and then I would also like to add, it also has some of the best jump scares ever. Slight plot plot spoiler, if you guys have not seen The Thing, and if you haven't seen The Thing, I don't know why the hell you're listening to this show, but if you have not seen The Thing, the blood test scene, that made me jump to the ceiling with my claws in the ceiling the first time I saw that. I don't know about you, but that, that made me jump. Yeah, that scene made me jump too, and I love that movie. I've actually never seen the quote-unquote original, the thing from another world. It's pretty good, just it's not as good as Carpenter's version. Yeah, but it is arguably one. It's one of my favorite films of all time as well. Uh, Beyond being genre, it's still a a great film. And I think the three of us can agree, there was no prequel. (laughs) Oh, God, I wish I could unsee that. I have not seen it yet, and I don't want to because I it will sully my opinion of the original, and I, I know it shouldn't, but I'm not going to be able to get it out of my mind if after the fact. 
to put it in some sort of perspective for you, I remember I had watched the thing earlier that day uh, just because I'm like, I, I just really want to have all the information on hand. So when I watch this, I can be like, hey, that's wrong. Hey, you know, just just to, just to be a dick about it. Just to be to a true cinema snob. To be a true exactly. cinema snob. <laughs> exactly. And then we went and watched it. And uh, it, it was it was me and Brad and Sarah, and we left that theater livid. We we ranted about it for about an hour till we got our blood pressure down enough to where we could actually talk about it reasonably for the site. And then I went home and rewatched the original again for the second time that day. I'm like, you know what? I cannot allow this to be the last thing I see today. Uh. <laughs> but no, like the last thing I see today, I I just couldn't allow that to happen. Everything that made the made the John Carpenter, you know, eighty two version amazing was what they screwed up in in the pre make whatever the heck it was. Well, do you know what the funniest thing about the thing nineteen eighty two was? It was not only a box office failure; it was a critical failure in eighty two as well, because it came out. I think. Two months after E.T., and people people, <laughs> huh. did, people did not want a violent alien. The thing was a failure. You go and read original reviews by critics that were around, you know, the Roger Eberts and that, they just lambasted this thing. So it's kind of funny that we're talking about it in such high praise today when this thing bombed like crazy back then. It makes me want to look up critic reviews from that time just to see what negativity they saw in it. The guy, I can't remember who what, what who it was, the guy for Comics Journal called it a 90-minute gore fest with absolutely no story or character. And I'm thinking, well, you know, he saw a totally different character. Yeah, he, he saw a totally different film than I did, apparently. In fact, one of the things that makes that movie work so well is the story and character. Now, <laughs> we got to move on to the next one. Uh, 1983's Christine. I've only read the first half of Stephen King's book. My wife loves the book. She loves the movie, and I don't get that. I get, The reason I have only read the first half of the book is I stopped giving a after a while. I just didn't care, and I, I did not like the movie either. Christine, to me, is a boring, boring movie, and I, even Carpenter couldn't save the boring story. I'm not a fan of that Stephen King novel. I mean, I'm a fan of Stephen King, but that one's really not his best work. And in fact, when I first read and then watched Christine, I still thought that other, that one from the 70s, the car, a killer car that has a mind of its own, that movie scared me more and left a greater impression than Christine did. Um, I, I actually kind of, uh, I actually kind of like the movie. Like, it, it definitely has a lot of things that, I don't know, j- just left me kind of not caring. But it, it, I don't know, it may, maybe it's because I, I, uh, I have a lot of Stephen King books. I've read a lot of them, but I, I don't know that I've ever read or owned or anything uh, a copy of Christine. But uh, no, I, I thought one of the things that just worked for me again, like like most of his movies, the uh, the music was really good for setting a lot of the tone. Just focusing on like, uh, and I feel terrible. I cannot remember the lead actor's name for the life of me right at the moment. But I, I thought that he he played such a great character, like just this. You know, watching this guy's entire life just sort of disintegrate in on itself. Uh, it, it, I just 
from that perspective, uh, and I don't know if any of that is from the book or if that's a carryover, but just it, it was very, for me, like a very psychological role. Like it, it, it reminded me a lot of uh, sort of like the mental anguish, mental breakdown that you see in Mark Patton's character, Jesse, from uh, Elm Street 2. I can actually see that comparison. Yeah, I can. Because just the, the the dramatic shift in tone that you see, like this guy, you know, obviously this this influence carrying over him to where he goes from just this nebbishy, just nerd character to by the end of it, he's he's turned into everything he hated, and then on from there. I mean, it's just it's a very it's a very kind of complete transformation story for me. And like I say, the the cool like you know happening 50 soundtrack didn't didn't really hurt things either that is one thing i will give that movie was its soundtrack the um the songs that the car would play whenever it did its thing whenever it killed somebody the car the songs that it played fit the scene so well carpenter and king originally talked about a different idea for the movie and i like their original idea was that the car is displaced in time it's all beat up at the beginning of the film, and as the odometer goes forward, the more the kid drives it and becomes enamored with the car, it gets newer and newer and newer until it eventually, the odometer gets to a certain point, the car returns to its parts state and just falls apart at the end of the movie. That was kind of a neat idea. I kind of wish they'd have gone with that. That is interesting, yeah. Yeah, I'd never heard that before. Reading an old issue of Cine Fastique from 1984. And I read that about Stephen King, and it was like, that's a pretty cool idea, and I don't know why that wasn't there. Moving on to Starman. This is probably John Carpenter from his good era, his most divisive film. This is a movie you either love or you hate from John Carpenter. I'm kind of in the middle. I don't love it or hate it. Parts of Starman I really like. Parts of it I think are ridiculous and over-sappy. No one can deny, though, that Jeff Bridges is great in the role. And the overall film is is a decent flick. It's definitely one I've never had any particular fondness for. Like I, I I'm not gonna like try to stop anyone from watching it. Like uh, for a while, I think Sarah was watching this one about every night. Like when she was trying to fall asleep, like she'd put it on, so it was on all the time. So, but it's it's just always been one. I I just like I say it just it never clicked for me, uh, and I and I think it was because of like all of the other ones of his movies, uh, all the other John Carpenter movies I'd seen prior to that. This one just felt like the odd duckling, just out of nowhere. It's like like if you grab like just going by Carpenter's name, like oh yeah, we're gonna watch you know throw on like Christine or the thing and. You know, Halloween and, uh, oh, here's Starman. And then all of a sudden it's like record screech, whoa. Yeah, it, it doesn't feel like a John Carpenter movie. That, that, that's my thing with it. It does not feel like a John Carpenter movie. I don't love that movie, but I don't really hate it either. It's just, it like, is. after I watched it, I'm just like, okay, that's that movie. Moving on. Speaking of that, then, let's move on to Big Trouble in Little China. The sorta, kinda, not really, but almost maybe sequel to Buckaroo Banzai, written by the same guy, has the same weird, chaotic feeling as Buckaroo Banzai does, and the original script was the never-made Buckaroo Banzai sequel. 
Big Trouble in Little China is an incredibly fun movie. That's all I can say. I don't consider it a particularly great film, but it, you can't deny how fun that movie is. It is very fun. Um, it took me, I would say, 15 years to finally understand and get through that movie because I honestly, I'm the, every time I watched it, I'd get about halfway through going, okay, what the hell is going on here? Before I realized that you're really not supposed to get what's going on. It's just fun to go along with the ride. I don't care. I think Big Trouble in Little China is a better chop film than Kill Bill was. Oh, I, I absolutely adore this movie. And, and yeah, in all fairness, uh, uh, Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension is absolutely one of my favorite movies. Uh, so I, so, so I, I can definitely... you see, yeah. So you can you see how this is sort of, kind of a sequel? It, it, it's Buckaroo Banzai versus the World Crime League, sort of. Uh, yeah, I mean they, you know, the creative liberties to kind of change it a little bit, but uh, but yeah, I mean y- you could just as easily, I mean for me, I just you know take out you know Kurt Russell as you know Jack Burton, throw in Peter Weller, and there you have it. I, I absolutely love that movie, and it's so ridiculous, and it it's so nonsensical the way things happen, but it's just it's. I always found that to be definitely its charm. Like it's at no point ever takes itself seriously. I mean, I, I think half of Kurt Russell's lines in that movie are him asking people, "What the hell's going on? Who was that? Where are we going?" He has no idea why he's even in that movie. But there he is. He's also a pretty ineffectual hero, and I'm not saying that in an insulting way. He constantly needs to be saved by everybody else. He's constantly getting himself in trouble. So as a hero, he's not a great hero as Jack Burton. Even in the climax of the movie, he's basically just watching everybody else fight and going, wow, this is awesome. So yeah, I agree. Big Big Trouble in Little China, great film, not high art. But definitely, if you haven't seen it, check it out. The next movie is one of my favorites from Carpenter, and that's Prince of Darkness. The film that uses actual quantum physics to try and explain Satan. I love this movie. And even though it takes place in the, you know, the, the messages from the future, or farther from the far-flung future of 1999, I, I like the fact that as you're seeing the little bits of the, of the dream, come through which is actually events from the future being sent back in time when you finally see the full video and then the changes made because of the events in 1987 that that last 20 seconds is incredibly creepy well i should really give that movie another shot because the first time i watched it was for a review and i hadn't slept in like 40 hours and was bitter and angry so i was gonna hate that movie no matter what you buy so prick my memory of that movie is a bit tainted. All right, well, then we'll move on to Brian. Brian, <laughs> Prince of Darkness. I feel really bad. I have nothing to offer to this one. I apparently have never seen Prince of Darkness. Okay. I, I thought I had, but I think I'm thinking of a different movie because none of what you just said sounds at all to familiar to me. <laughs> you also get to see Alice Cooper kill a guy with a, bice- with a, a tricycle. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I've seen that clip, but yeah, I've definitely not seen this movie. You get to see a guy that's literally made out of insects talking to people. You need to see this movie, Brian. I'm sure Brad has it. I, I think it's go. still streaming on Netflix, in fact. 
I was gonna say I'm gonna check Netflix real quick and add that to my queue if I don't already have it there. Can you wait till after the show? Well, sure. All right. like, I'll be back, guys. I'm gonna go watch Prince of Darkness now. Bye, bastard. <laughs> now the next film is again. It's in that one of Carpenter's best, and that is They Live, which is one of probably the most subversive films this side of Brazil that I've ever seen. They Live is a, an amazing film. It is so overflowing with social commentary. A lesser filmmaker would have gotten lost in the social commentary and they would have lost the characters and the fun of the movie. Carpenter was able to balance all that out. They Live absolutely rocks. Oh, yeah. I mean, without a doubt on that one. I mean, it was, and it's the sort of thing like the, the level of social commentary and the level of just. I don't know insight that this movie seems to have on like society. It just really seems so offset to me. It always has because of the fact that in the lead role you have a pro wrestler, Rowdy Roddy Piper. I mean, that just it, it was just one of those things. Like you see him, and you're like, okay, well, this is just gonna be some sort of you know cornball action movie. But he does a great job. Start, he honestly had some pretty good acting chops in that one. The, it just uh it, it's a great concept uh the the i the whole idea behind uh those glasses and just the way like that this this other race is just more or less has the entire populace under its thumb like it's just it's such a great concept to me one of my favorite moments is the part where you realize real life is in black and white, and he goes, we've been colorized. I huh. absolutely love that. That is just a brilliant, just subversive the only way I can describe anything in this movie is subversive. That is, yeah, it is my favorite of every John Carpenter movie, undeniably. I love everything about They Live. That is one that I will watch two, three times a year, even to the point where I'm just speaking the lines with the movie. The first time he puts on the glasses, it's still, I love it. Obey, <laughs> consume, marry and reproduce. Sees that alien in the, the grocery store, and he's like, you're ugly, you're okay, but you. Now the next film, I've got nothing to say. I've never seen Memoirs of an Invisible Man. I remember the trailers for it, and that's about it. <laughs> Brian? Uh, I remember the... Uh... The the visual effects for it were uh, for the time they they were some of the the best uh, uh, visuals I'd ever seen as far as like using different like green screening techniques could go like like I I can't really think of a movie that I watched before that 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 used them to such a, a level that that this one did. I notice all you talk about is the special effects. Nothing with the story or Chevy Chase as an action hero. Uh well I'm 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 not the biggest Chevy Chase fan. Like I I definitely like some movies he's been in, but yeah he I've never gone out of my way to watch a movie because it's like oh man Chevy Chase is the lead in this sweet. Like I just it's it's never been a big sell for me. But no, just the, the it was a, it was a very visually striking movie. Like there there's a scene kind of towards the beginning where I, f I forget exactly what it was in the story, some sort of uh, some sort of like lab accident gone wrong and it basically results in him being invisible but it also at the same time makes 
most of this uh, multi-story building go invisible too. So it's just the it's like say for for whatever it's worth, the the visuals for it are very striking, and, and again for the time, uh, I, I hadn't seen anything comparable. And that would be 1992. So it was still right at the cusp of the not quite CGI era. Cause yeah, it, it was, uh, I remember seeing some like, uh, like a HBO first look type things for it. And, uh, you know, like it was the first time I'd ever really seen like where they have, you know, the whole scene laid out and then there's, you know, Chevy Chase in a full body suit with the exception of his face and stuff like that. Like he was just, you know, I, I hadn't seen anything done like that before and it, but the the result I thought was really cool. It's called a TV movie but it's actually an unsold pilot for sh- a Showtime series called Body Bags. You speaking of anthology series like you brought up before, this was Carpenter trying to get his own anthology series on Showtime back in 93 and it did not work and so they just aired it as a TV movie called Body Bags. My reaction is eh you know, it would have been all right, and I probably would have watched it had it been picked up, but Body Bags, to me, was nothing special. I'll agree it was nothing special. I mean, it was an anthology. There was three stories. I remember they were really cliche, and, like, I'd seen them before. Oh, I, I know I've seen it, but I, I couldn't really tell you a thing one about it. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I can understand it, it not going over that great because what, what back in – Around that time, around '93, I mean, the it, the TV was just littered with with anthology shows. You had your Tales from the Crypt. Uh, the Outer Limits was was back on. Nope, there was, uh, nope, I think, uh, like the uh, new Outer Twilight Limits Zone. 90, Outer Limits was '95, and Twilight Zone went off the air in '91. Well, I still don't remember anything about it. Fine, <laughs> I, I'm sorry to kill your argument with facts, but there you go. Well, How, you did have Tales from the Crypt was popular at yes, the time. Yeah. Still. Well, I, I think this was supposed to be Showtime's answer to Tales from the Crypt. I think that's what they really wanted, was their own Tales from the Crypt. And for whatever reason, it just did not work. I'm, I, I have not ever seen the entire movie, but I know Brian's a huge fan, as we talked about it last week. Brian, in a couple of minutes, can you summarize why you love In the Mouth of Madness? I, I guess because it was... Um... It was one of the first movies I saw that really had uh, this sort of, almost sort of like a meta feel to it. Like it was a concept uh, when I first saw it, I wasn't really familiar with how, you know, it's a story about a guy, uh, you know, a story about this author and then the author's work sort of taking over reality. Like it was a sort of thing like I'd never really seen before. And the the visual aesthetic of it, the uh, the the definite pull that it has from uh, uh, things like like H.P. Lovecraft and his sort of you know elder god sort of like there's this whole world just beyond the edge of what you can see type thing that it, it was just such a captivating feel for me, you know just. I don't know, just it, it just had that certain pull to it, and the way that the movie. In a way, it, it sort of just folds over and around in on itself. By the time you get to the end, it's you're at the beginning, and it just one of the first. Movies, it really made me kind of have to like, like think about it. Like, it, not to like the same degree as like, like something like Following or Memento or anything like that. But it, it was the first one that like, 
you notice things are weird and no one acknowledges it and that's what makes it especially weird. Yeah, it's one of those movies that's just kind of, well, that happened, moving on. Yeah, it's like you see something like, like, oh, this little girl turns around and her face is all distorted and no one really talks about it. She just walks off down the street you're like, oh, okay, that's cool. <laughs> what about you, Alex? Um, I didn't like it so much at the time when it first came out. Mostly because I didn't understand it, but when I watched it later on, after I'd read Lovecraft and really got into Lovecraft, I loved that movie. All right. Now, the next one, I, we're going to gloss over partially because we're running out of time, but also partially because the movie's a piece of shit, and that's the Village of the Damned remake. There was no reason for this film to be remade. Carpenter brought nothing new to the table that was was needed. To, to me, the movie's a piece of crap, and it's the big stinker in Carpenter's good era. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, it, it did kind of signal the downfall. Like it was kind of the first, the first real chink in the armor. Where you're like, uh, things aren't the same anymore, are they? And then some people would say that that continued into the next one. Except, I love Escape from L.A. I think it is it's almost a satire or a parody of Escape from New York. And the problem is, or and the great thing is, it knows it is. And I love Escape from L.A. You want to talk a fun movie? Escape from L.A. is a fun movie. And where else are you going to, going to get to see Pam Greer play a dude that's incredibly hot, other than when she played George Carlin in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey? It, I, the first time I saw it, I, I thought I was missing a joke or something like that. Like, like okay, Carpenter's pulling one over on us. Cause like, he's doing a remake of his own movie. And it's really weird, but I mean, I have to, I have to get behind any movie that has, uh, uh, has Bruce Campbell as the Surgeon General of Beverly Hills. I mean, I, I, I can't argue with that. <laughs> I love everything about Escape from L.A. It is fun. It is campy. It's over the top. It takes what people remember from Escape from New York, the campiness and the fun, and it amplifies it to a better degree. I also think it has the best last five minutes of any Carpenter film that he's made. Maybe with the exception of Prince of Darkness. Because that last five minutes where, spoiler warning, Snake shuts down the Earth, the way the music comes up as the satellite's opening and turning the Earth off, and then, welcome to the human race. I'm sorry, that's just brilliant the way that plays out. Next we got Vampires. This is where John Carpenter lost his f***ing mind. This movie sucked on every level. And I've read the book it's based on. I loved the book. And, and the movie follows the book faithfully for about 20 minutes. Remember the hotel massacre where all of James Wood's team gets killed? Right there the movie says, screw the book, we're going off in our own direction. And it was a dumb direction. Well, I, I, I do have to say it, it's, uh, I mean, it, and maybe this is because, uh, sort of like with Christine, I, I've never read the book. That, I mean, I thought it was a, a fun enough movie. I mean, it definitely wasn't anything special. And, uh, I, I forget which, I forget which Baldwin was in it, but I think that kind Daniel. of sums that up nicely. Oh, Daniel. Okay. Yeah. The, the fact that I can't even remember which one it was kind of lets you know what I think out of the, you know, thought of his performance. But, Having James Woods in there is just this hard ass, you know, weathered 
Vampire Hunter, I thought was was really fun. Like it, you, you know, you've seen him do so many different roles, but having him as just an actual, just out and out tough guy, I thought was was pretty fun. Um, I've heard so many negative reviews about vampires that I've actually never bothered watching the movie. <laughs> All right, then moving on, Ghosts of Mars. It's a piece of crap. It could have been good. It had a great premise. I like the fact that the story's told out of order. You got Pam Greer playing a leather-wearing lesbian. I'm sorry. You guys might notice I have a thing for Pam Greer. I don't know. But it just was not a good movie. Ice Cube was terrible. Natasha Henstrich was worse. And I know Brad will kill me, but Jason Statham did nothing in this film. They could have cut his character completely, and it wouldn't have affected it at all. Ghost of Mars was a piece of crap. I so want to like and defend Ghosts of Mars. I mean, I enjoyed it when I watched it. There are good things to it, but there is so much bad in it that it makes it hard to recognize the good things in it. It's one that I, I haven't seen, but but not for the same reason as, like, Prince of Darkness. No, this one is one that I, I remember the trailers, and just nothing about it really captured me. Uh, so I, just, I never really went out of my way to watch it. Uh, Brad's actually got on my ass several times about about watching this one because i mean then uh, i mean i'll i won't put too many words in his mouth but i know that he's mentioned several times that it's one of his favorite carpenter movies i don't know I, i'm sitting on my computer for god knows how long and i've just never gotten around to watching it so i i, I pass on that one and then we've got his two masters of horror episodes both of which were absolutely excruciatingly bad I mean, Masters of Horrors was not a high-end series to begin with, and when someone like John Carpenter comes away as having the two bad episodes, that says something right there. Either of you guys seen the Masters of Horrors, Alex? Have not seen his Masters of Horrors. I've seen some of the others of the series, but I have seen The Ward. Yeah, um, I'm trying to remember. He had uh, he had cigarette burns and, and uh, pro-life with Ron Perlman attacking the abortion clinic. Right. I I remember I remember uh when I kind of saw his name pop up on that one, I thought to myself, "Oh hey, it's, you know, John Carpenter. Oh, and it's got Ron Perlman in it. This will be pretty good." I detested that one. I I I I just thought it was a really really bad story just all around. Just just it, it didn't make sense. It wasn't entertaining. It just went nowhere. Uh, Cigarette Burns, though, I, I did kind of enjoy that one. And honestly, uh, a lot of that I think because it 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 touched on a lot of similar chords for me as like In the Mouth of Madness did. So I, I thought it was good. Uh, Udo Kier always awesome to see. So I mean, I you know I I, I did like that one. And then then there comes to the Ward. I have not seen it. I tried watching that one maybe like a month ago. Uh, it was on the uh, the instant watch there, and I, I tried watching it. I made I made it about halfway in, and then I just completely fell asleep. I kept like waking up and seeing weird snippets, and it was you know obviously disjointed for me. But the the first half of it that I was paying a lot of attention to, it, nothing captured me about it. It it was just kind of a generic oh a girl's in an institution, or maybe she shouldn't be, and there's like ghosts or not. I I, I couldn't 
tell what the hell was going on with it. And eventually I just got sick of it and just fell asleep. I, I watched it like five in the afternoon. It wasn't even like late night. <laughs> what about you, Alex? You said you've seen The Ward. I hate The Ward. It is a terrible movie. It's... I've heard the ending is insulting. I heard peeps, there, I've heard some reviews that say, I was with this movie until the last ten minutes. I was. I wouldn't say I was with it, but I was still giving the movie a shot until the last ten minutes. The only positive thing I can possibly say about that movie is I can't remember the actor's name um, that plays the psychiatrist in that movie. You see him in a lot of things. Um, British actor, I believe he is. Jared Harris is the one good thing about that movie. He does a decent job. Everything else in that movie, the characters are horrible, and the ending is, like people have said, it's insulting, it's stupid, it's... I hate that movie. Alright, on that note, <laughs> that's our John Carpenter retrospective. I'm sorry that we were running out of time, and so we had to kind of rush through the the, the last few, but when you get three movie nerds together, you know, you know you're gonna meander. So, where can we find Alex Jowski? www.geekjuicemedia.com Where can we find Brian Lewis? You can find me over at thecinemasnob.com And you can find me at 1201beyond.com or 1201beyond at gmail.com And I'm saying, night guys! Night guys!